There's so many things to pray, um, but we want to keep keep lifting up. We do pray at five o'clock um, on uh, Wednesday for those that are able to join in. That's a great opportunity um, to be together to do that um, for those that are able to join. I mentioned a couple weeks ago we're going to do we were going to do a new series on the Sabbath, um, and after the Psalms, and we've kind of move that in light of this uh, certainly wouldn't be a bad thing to talk about, but we'll talk about that again. Um, but we're going to look at the new Testament. We're going to look at uh, some of the promises of Jesus. So we'll look in the gospels at promises that Jesus made over the next few weeks. Um, it was time for us to return to the new Testament anyway. Um, and there's no greater place, better place uh, in uncertainty uh, than seeing and hearing the words of Jesus himself. So uh, during these little mini sermons, I uh, hope they speak something of where you are, hope they connect with you as we move ahead these next week, looking at the promises of Jesus. Here are these words from John's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus says this, I have said these things to you, speaking to his disciples, that in me you may have peace. In the world you, have tri- you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Uh, these are Jesus' last words before he's arrested, and then he's betrayed, he's arrested, and he's on trial to his disciples. His last words include two of these promises. Just first to know the context, Jesus has said, I'm going to leave, I'm going to go away, and the disciples don't understand, and it's uncertain, and they're fearful. And then Jesus says it again, and they say, okay, we understand. And then Jesus says these words, oh, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home, and you will leave me alone, that I am not alone, for the Father is with me. And then he says, I have said these things that you may have peace in the world. There will be tribulation, but I have overcome the world. In other words, he says, uh, um, I'm leaving, there's uncertainty, there's fear, and they think, yeah, we got it, we're good, we understand now, and Jesus says, no, you don't. <laughs> he says, in just a short time, you're going to be running, fearful, afraid, scattered. I will be alone, but I will be okay. The Father is with me. I say these things that you would have peace, but there will be tribulation, but I have overcome the world. Jesus is offering something in the midst of fear, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of unknown. He's offering the peace that grounds them, the peace that only he can bring. Reminded of that quote by the missionary, theologian, scholar, Leslie Newbigin. He was asked if he was an optimist or a pessimist. Someone said, "Uh, Mr. Newbigin, are you an optimist or a pessimist? And he said, I am neither an optimist nor a pessimist. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Isn't that a good answer? I'm neither an optimist nor a pessimist. They'll they'll put me on either side, but Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. It's a good answer, uh, especially in these moments. Uh, Everyone's trying to read the times. You know, some are, um, this is no big deal. We're making too much of it. This will be blown over tomorrow. Uh, What's the big fuss? get back to work. Uh, they're optimists, glass half full. Um, some are, it's, you know, it's doomsday. This is going to be two years. Uh, the economy's tanked. Life will never be the same. Um, 
and it's just pessimism, half empty, um, doomsday. And the truth is, um, I don't know. And, and, and you don't know. And uh, all our healthcare people don't really know. And economists aren't quite sure. And no one really knows. And so in that moment, Newbegin says, I'm, I'm not going to answer that question. I'm not going to try to read the signs and the times. This is not a crystal ball. What I do know, what grounds me, what brings hope is that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, that in him there is life, in him there is peace, there is uh, satisfaction, and there is joy. And so we're going to try to ground ourselves tonight in hope, in the hope of the promises that Jesus gives. And hopefully that will help us as we navigate these days together. Uh, it is Jesus and him alone. Uh, we should read, we should research, we should know, we should be updated, we should pray for our leaders making decisions. Um, but at the end of the day, our hope is in Jesus, and he gives us the peace we need. This, uh, this verse, let's see how this verse gives us peace. There's two promises and one command, briefly. Let's look at, the, at first the promises. The first promise says, in the world you will have tribulation. You will have tribulation. Um, it's not an if, it's a when. You will have it. it the word tribulation is sort of generic for um, trouble or struggle or difficulty. Jesus says from the very beginning that there will be tribulation. All of life since the fall has been one marked by trial and difficulty and struggle. Jesus is born into a world of struggle and difficulty and trial. We live into a world of difficulty and struggle and trial. And sometimes it's just helpful to know that, to name it, that we will. It is guaranteed. It is part of a promise from Jesus. We will have difficulty. He didn't say we're going to go through this pandemic called COVID-19 and it's going to impact everyone in such a way. But he did say we will have tribulation. We will have trial. One thing as a believer is we might we ought not be surprised. First Peter says, Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised at difficulty. Don't be surprised at trial. He says in the next chapter of chapter 5, 1 Peter, resist him, the devil, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of trials the kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Literally now, throughout the world, <laughs> there's a common experience of trial, of difficulty, of tribulation. We ought not be surprised. Maybe you've heard the, the cliche that uh, you know, life wouldn't be so hard if we didn't expect it to be so easy. Have you heard that? It's, it's kind of trivial, but it's truth. There's a real sense in which... Um, our life, our go with the flow, maybe, the, um, maybe you were comfortable in your lifestyle. And uh, this has sort of halted everything. And, and we're kind of staggering for footing, trying to grasp where we are, what's the next steps, what do we do with our days, what do we, how do we work or not work. Um, and it's helpful to know that we will have trials and tribulations. Um, it's part of it. We've all been impacted, some more than others, um, but we've all been impacted. 
and a sense of uncertainty. And Jesus is just telling us, hey, in this world, in this life, there will be, you will face tribulation. It's, it's kind of good to name that. We're in, a, we're in the real world. This is Jesus said would come. The second promise is better, though. Uh, in this world, there will be tribulation, but he says, I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. The last words he spoke to the disciples before he would die is, I have overcome the world. A little bit ironic. I'm about to hang on a cross. I have overcome the world. We must admit this might not be easy to believe. It doesn't seem like it. There are difficulties. People are suffering. People are struggling. So in what sense has Jesus overcome the world? I think there's two ways he's overcome the world. First is that Jesus' life, his life has overcome the pattern of the world, the pattern of sin in the world. One of the things that crisis, uh, tribulation, trials does to us, it, it shapes our character. You know, we're told to rejoice in our sufferings because it produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope, Paul says. So it shapes us, but trial also reveals our character, doesn't it? Uh, the, the bad stuff comes out and comes up. I listened to a really interesting uh, forum this week with David Brooks. Some of you know him, uh, New York Times. I love his stuff. Um, and he was talking about the 1918 Spanish influenza, the flu that came through. And, um, and it, it killed, listen to this, 675,000 Americans. 675,000 Americans. So we're at 2,000, 3,000. I'm not sure quite the number. Over 2,000 deaths here, which is a lot. Every life matters. Everyone's being impacted. But 675,000 lives. This is on the tail end of World War I. But what he said was so interesting was that there had been so little written about this culturally. I mean, they know about it. It's in the history books. But there's not songs. There's not movies. There's not books. There's very little written about the 1918 influenza. And he said that they asked him why. And he didn't say he knew for sure. But his answer was, he thinks that the main reason was that there was a sense of shame from the people. There was a cultural sense of shame by how they responded during the plague. It's sort of a cultural shame. There's lots of stories of, um, or anecdotes of people being greatly afraid, so skeptical of neighbor, um, hoarding, uh, stealing, theft. Uh, even uh, examples of parents abandoning their children in, in great times of distress, like letting them go, leaving them for their own sake. Um, it's it's kind of like, uh, you know, Germans don't write a lot about the Holocaust. Holocaust. <laughs> there's a, there's a cor corporate sense of shame. And Brooks says there's something about that episode in American history where we didn't talk about it, wasn't written about. And so while we may see at times of struggle like this, uh, some of the good parts of the human nature, some love and kindness and sacrifice come forward, we see a lot of the ugly stuff too. We see selfishness, we see greed, we see struggle, we see addictions, we see uh, anxiety, we see stress, we see domestic violence, we see all kinds of things. The pattern of the world 
crunch us down. Tribulation comes and it squeezes us in and squeezes us tight. What comes out is not so pretty most of the time. It's probably happening at your house. It's happening in my house. Right? It's happening all over. We start good and there's impatience and frustration. And yet Jesus entered into a world, a difficult world, a Jewish world under Roman rule, squeezed, pressure, tribulation, trial, about to go to the cross, and yet what? Without sin. Without judgment. Without condemnation for others. Without scorn. Without hatred. He remained pure. He overcame the sin pattern. He overcame the system of the world. He lived a perfect life. How else, do we, how else did he overcome the world? In Jesus' death, he overcame the penalty of our sin, the penalty of our sin. Um, I told you this is known as his farewell discourse, the last words. Um, he was going to the cross. It hadn't happened yet, but he speaks with such definitiveness about what he's about to do the next day. In Greek, the, it's like Spanish or other languages. The verb tense carries the the person and number, uh, you know, so the, the verb would carry the first person singular, third person plural, I, they, whatever it may be. Here in the text, there's an extra I, there's an extra pronoun. So it's emphatic. He says, I, I have overcome the world. There will, will be tribulation, you will experience it, but I, I have overcome the world. He was so certain and so sure of what he would do and how he would do and what he would do that he spoke as that it already happened. He's overcome the world. The death, the wages of sin is death. What we earn with our sin is death, and that Jesus took it. The cross he overcame sin, death, hell, the grave, doomsday, the worst case scenario. Jesus took it and absorbed it at the cross and overcame it. Jesus says in Matthew 10, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Jesus dealt with a physical problem. He is resurrected. We will have resurrected bodies, but at the cross and the resurrection, he secured that our spiritual state, our souls will be made right with God forever, that we will be whole, body and soul. He has overcome. The penalty the world has given, the penalty of death in his resurrection. Two promises. You will have tribulation, and I have overcome the world. How do we respond? The text says, one command, take heart. Some translations say, be of good courage. It means to be hopeful. There's struggle, trouble. He's overcome the world. What do we do? We're hopeful. We take heart. What does it mean to take heart? I think it means to live into the life and the death of Jesus. We are united with Him. We live in the life of Jesus. His life, our life. How did He respond in tribulation? How did He respond at the cross when He's being mocked? He said what? Father, forgive them. How did He respond when others mistreated Him? How did He respond when He suffered and dealt with difficulty? He loved. He was patient. He was kind. He showed radical concern for others. He sought wisdom. He was just. He loved his neighbor. We're in a moment where difficulty 
and the bad stuff in our heart arises. But as we live into Jesus, to take heart means to unite ourselves with him in a way that what comes out is the fruit of Jesus, the fruit of the Spirit, the love. Be patient with our kids, our, our roommates, our spouse. To be thoughtful of those in need. To be forgiving when we're hurt and others, and others hurt us. To be mindful of those less fortunate than us. We live in the life of Jesus. We also live in his death because our, his life is our life, but his death is our death. His death was for our sin. So we live in the reality that we are sinning. <laughs> Has anyone sinned this past week at home? <laughs> right? We're sinning. We're struggling. We want to love, but we're failing to love. We're impatient. We're struggling. Some of us are buried with, with anxiety and fear. But we know the truth, but we can't get it to our hearts, and so we're anxious. Some of us are judging people that are anxious because we think this is not a big deal. It shouldn't be a big deal and just get on with it. And their sin is coming out. So being in union with Jesus and his death means we confess our sins. Dwayne led us earlier. We, we confess it. My whole world's sort of spinning. I don't know what's happening in this quarantine thing, but my heart is not that pretty. Jesus, would you redeem it? Would you change it? Would you give me patience? Would you give me kindness? Would you give me love? Tribulation is seeking to bring out the worst in us. Our hope is in Jesus. Take heart. Final thought, tribulation and trial can take us out. And these times can really do a lot to our faith. These difficulties can actually make our faith sweeter, deeper, richer, or it can move us from the faith. It can move us away from the faith. St. Augustine was speaking of um, life as a journey. And he's talking about how we're on the journey of faith, but we get off the journey. We can lose our faith in a way, in two ways. He says, one is that we don't know where we're headed, he says. This is sort of the unbeliever that's searching. We're on a path, but we don't know where we're going. And so he says we're embarking on an endless journey of searching for home, for rest, for meaning. This is where he says, you know, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. We're looking for life here. We're looking for life. We try this path and that path, and that doesn't satisfy. We try this path, but we have no goal. We have no journey. We don't know where we're going. There's no end. But others, maybe us in the church, we know Jesus, and we're down the path, and he says, but for the second group, we get lost by the weariness of being en route, but we're burdened by trials and tribulations. And we're distracted by a thousand byways and exalted, exhausted by temptations along the way that sucker you into forgetting where your home is. We're on the journey, but trials come. The parable of the soils, the, the sun comes to scorch the temptations, the trials, the difficulties, and they allure us. They draw us out of the world of faith. They draw us away from home, that is, with Jesus, fixed with him, connected with him. He said, in me, you will have peace. Augustine said, on this trail, the evil one will try to seduce us. He will try to take our eyes off of the Lord, who is our peace, who is our rock. He will get us off the road. May we not be seduced by the trial. May we know our peace is found in Jesus. He has overcome the world, and we are in him.
We are hidden in him. Whether we are optimists or pessimists, whether we think we know it's going to happen or we don't, Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. That is our hope. That is our confidence. Keep your eyes on him, church, and take heart, for he has overcome the world. Let's pray. Jesus, it is